0: This morning we're going to be sharing. Uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Matthew, book of Matthew. Matthew chapter six. Can you turn it down? Matthew chapter six. And I, I'm, I'll begin reading in the in the ninth uh, ninth verse. Thankful that we have uh, some, f- new, some other friends here with us today, and uh, thankful, as always, to see our youth. We went on a little outing on Friday, and they, they made it to church, so it's always good if you can go out on Friday that you can make it to church on Sunday, <laughs> so thankful for that. If they weren't too shy at the end, I might have somebody come up and tell you what we did. They're looking away now. Matthew chapter 9, I mean chapter 6, beginning at verse 9. Reads, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts As we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, God, for your uh, model of prayer. We pray that we would glorify you in this moment, that we would honor you and hallow your name. We acknowledge your presence among us. We thank you for this time, for these people, for this opportunity. We pray for a fresh anointing to preach and anointing to receive your word. Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. You are my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So, with the with text, with the scripture that's, that's so familiar as, as this scripture is today, it's kind of easy to kind of sit back and go into cruise control uh, spiritually and mentally as, as it's read or, uh, uh, you know, even, even as you are, are praying it. It's kind of easy to just coast. But this prayer taught by Jesus <clears throat> is not something that we should coast through. Uh, It's often called the Lord's Prayer, but a better name for it would be the Disciples Prayer because it's how he taught the disciples to pray. It it may be one of the most famous prayers in the world, being prayed in many languages for thousands of years. It's been spoken as a testimony before and after baptisms in the ancient church. It's been recited during times of communion and and used to teach new converts uh, what the church actually believes. It's been prayed at funerals, sung at weddings, and and here in this country, it's uh, been shared at ceremonies such as high school graduations, the Lord's Prayer. For, For 70 years, it was tradition for the prayer to be sung during graduation at one school in Ohio until a few years ago when someone complained about mixing church and state, which is not what that's about but uh so so they were directed to remove the song because the school district said they didn't have enough money to fight it in court well the students decided it was a tradition and it shouldn't be taken out of the ceremony so the, on the day of graduation when the head of the class got up to say his speech he stretched out his arms and all of the students stood up together and began saying our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name. These these students, I know it was an amen moment, wasn't it? But I I messed it up when I thought too deep about it. These students uh, took a stand for what they said had become their tradition. But was that why Jesus commanded his disciples to pray like this? Tradition? Tradition? We'll see. As as found here in the book of Matthew, Jesus is in the middle of preaching what's been called the Sermon on the Mount. He had pulled his disciples aside and up a mountain and began teaching them about this, the new way of life that being a part of the kingdom of God calls for. Uh, he illustrated this kingdom uh, to them where things would be reversed and, and the humble would be blessed where Folks are called to forgive and love their enemies, where people who were persecuted were to rejoice and represent God even under persecution, a place where God's glory is the main thing, the kingdom. Jesus taught that this kingdom would call for a new understanding, a new attitude, and definitely, definitely a new way and a right kind of, of prayer. He taught them to pray like this. In, in, verses, in this same chapter, in verses 5 through 8, Jesus points out two kinds of prayer that was taking place in that day and warns the disciples not to pray like that. He start out with what not to do. He, in 5 through 8, he says, and when you pray, you must not pray, be like the hypocrites, For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus teaches not to pray like the hypocrites or the heathen. Don't pray like the hypocrites to be seen and heard by people. Trading your connection and the attention of God for the admiration of people. There were Religious folks uh, of Jesus' day who liked to uh, show how righteous they were by praying in all of the gatherings and out in the public uh, in front of folks. And, and, and they would do it at the prescribed hours of prayer that they were supposed to pray throughout the day. Uh, people would be impressed by their, by their praying, but God, not so much. When, when my family, uh, when we go out to eat sometimes um, and we bow our heads to, to say grace and bless, blessing of the food and thank, thanks for the food, uh, I, I can't help but wondering, even while I'm praying, wondering if the people watching us pray, because I know they're watching us, <laughs> if, if their attention is being drawn and directed toward God, or are they just thinking, They think they're holier than thou. I don't know. One day I'm going to ask somebody. But there's nothing wrong with, and Jesus is not uh, uh, pushing or or banning uh, public prayer. There's nothing wrong with it as long as the focus is on the audience of one. Our focus needs to be on God. If not, Jesus teaches it's better just to go into a private place where only He can see and hear you and then pray. And then He says, Don't pray like the heathen or the Gentiles either. People, people with no connection to our or or, or knowledge of God. They, they're just not linked in with the Lord. They pray to false gods who have no power, who don't care, and, and don't know anything about them because they're not real. They just ramble on and on and on and on, speaking a, a bunch of words with no thought or no meaning behind them. Jesus says, don't pray like that. Don't do that. He tells his disciples. That the Father sees and knows their motives and their needs. He's always ready to release his rewards and make his answer known to those who rightly recognize and relate to him. So don't do what those others do. Don't pray like them. After explaining what the prayers of people whose hearts and souls are, are not correctly aligned with God look like, then he teaches what prayer flowing from the heart of his disciples should be like. The prayer he gives, it has six requests, only six requests, that all demonstrate the godly desires of a disciple's heart. The first three demonstrate the desire to see God's honor, his honor in his name, his kingdom, and his will. The next three demonstrate the disciples' dependence on God for our our provision, our pardon of sins, and and our protection from evil. He says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Using using words like this sets this prayer up as a model for the disciples to pray. They, They don't have to only pray these words, but Their hearts should be directed toward what these words are getting at. Then then before any requests in the prayer, Jesus makes plain also who it is is, that's being called on. It's, It's addressed to God the Father. It's a relational prayer. Although God was recognized as Father by Israel for his acts of creation and his ruling nature and deliverance of his people, he was not addressed in a personal way that Jesus is teaching here, a way that that uses possessive words like my father, your father, our father. Jesus invites his disciples as a family, a community, to share in his relational claim to the father, our father. How, How you see the one that you're coming to will determine how you come to them. Uh, walking, walking into the office of the CEO of your company and making a request will probably sound much different than walking into the presence of the CEO of your company who, is also, who also happens to be your father making a request. There might be a difference. Uh, at least there will be a difference in, in here. <clears throat> Jesus teaches his disciples that they are to be praying to their father in heaven. And then I, I, I know that there's some people, and, and I may have even been one of those people that gets stuck, that gets stuck there, though, praying to the Father in heaven because they, they didn't have such great relationships with their own fathers. But God is is one who's better than the best earthly father could ever be. Even if you had a good daddy, he's better. Uh, uh, the song says he's a good, good father. He's better. He's, he's, he's creator and ruler of all things and over all things, provider of every good and perfect gift. But he's also a father who loves and cares, who stoops down and leans in to listen to his children pray. He is omnipresent. He's everywhere. But his seat is in heaven. Yet his heart is still concerned and close to us. Senior members of the the old church I I grew up in would say that he sits high and he looks low. Our father. He's our father. With that in mind, the first request is made. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. All disciples' prayers should desire this. Hallowed means holy. Holy. The prayer is that God's name would be made holy. He he, he is worthy of honor. And wherever his name is not being honored, the disciple is found praying, let your name be holy. God's name represents all of who he is, his greatness, his majesty, his reputation. And his name should be holy. This, this, This was so much of a desire uh, to, to keep God's name holy, that the Jews of that time they would not even speak God's name for fear of dirtying it up. But we we know that people do other things with God's name today, and, and I I get offended. I don't want to say I get angry, but uh. and, and, and I, I wonder, and I often wonder why people don't use the names of other famous or false gods when they stubbed their toe. Why is that? It's always Jesus this or God that. I won't say what they say. You know, you've, you've heard them. I I don't, I don't understand it, but, but his reputation. God had told his people Israel in the book of Ezekiel throughout and especially in chapter 39 in, in the seventh chapter that even though they had profaned and dirtied his reputation, his name among the nations, he was going to make his name holy. Uh, He was going to make his name holy and known in his people and in the world. God was going to do it. So if we pray asking for God's name to be holy, do we have any responsibility in keeping it holy? Is, Is his name holy in you is his name holy in your house is his name holy in your neighborhood do you keep his name holy are you praying like this it goes on it says your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven next next request is that his kingdom come and it's tied to the to the third request that his will be done His kingdom come is the condition where God's will rules in the hearts of people and is carried out in their lives and throughout the entire earth. His kingdom, where anything that's contrary to his will is removed. God promises the king uh, the coming of his kingdom, and, and he gave us a glimpse of it when Jesus came. It won't be completed until Jesus returns, but we are to be praying and looking for it and living into it more and more while we wait for the kingdom. His, his will is being perfectly carried out in heaven. Nobody in heaven is doing their own thing and ignoring God. In fact, right now there's creatures around God's throne who do nothing but day and night cry out, holy, holy, holy. To God is the Lord God Almighty. Disciples should desire and pray for it to be that way on earth that his kingdom would come, his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. I I remember sitting in, in the Fox Chase Cancer Center in Philadelphia and seeing all the patients in there and thinking to myself how the whole hospital one day will be shut down when his kingdom comes. The condition of the patients was an earthly condition, uh, but in the kingdom, the, the healing of heaven will be in order. It'll be poured out. Right now, earth is only a distorted shadow of what God's kingdom looks like in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Some have said that, that each request could have, could have been closed with on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, uh, your name be hallowed on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I like that. But disciples shouldn't pray this without asking, is God's kingdom coming in me? Or better yet, is God's kingdom coming in us? Is it coming in us? If so, there'll be some evidence that His will is being done more and more in us and by us and through us, more and more. And for that, in the next three requests, we depend on him, something God does in us. He says, give us this day our daily bread. This is our provision. Our physical needs being met by him. Even though God knows what we need, we bring this request to him. We're commanded and told to bring this request to him anyway. In the time of scripture, when there was no refrigeration in in each home, uh, a daily supply of bread was a necessary blessing. Uh, They couldn't run down to the Acme. Is there Acme around here? Even though uh, farmers would work for the grain and the bread, preparing the ground, planting the seed, reaping the harvest, they acknowledged without God, there would be no bread. They They were to be depending on God for provision a day at a time, like they did in the wilderness after leaving Egypt when God gave them daily bread from heaven called manna and water from a rock. In the, in the only prayer found in Proverbs, I dug up uh, chapter 30, verse 8. The writer asks to be fed with only what is needful. Being afraid that if he gets full or oversatisfied, he will forget about God. Give us this day our daily bread, our bread for this day. And, and the bread represented not only food, but all of our physical needs being met by God. Not only will the disciples show their trust in God when they pray like this, God's name will be holy as he provides for all that's needed in the right portion and at the right time. Even today, with with some having refrigerators and freezers full of food and with work and jobs and somewhat regular pay, we still need to pray like this. It leads us to recognize that our Father is the source of all our resources and not to take it for granted that we have or will always have anything. And then the next petition, it asks for pardon. It says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Like we find, or you can find in Luke chapter 11 in the fourth verse, the debts here represent sin, wrongdoing that leaves a sinner owing God and owing something to others. So, in addition to our provision, we ask for a pardon, forgiveness. The disciples would have uh, would have a relationship with God because of the forgiveness that was purchased by Jesus's death on the cross. Our, our sin is forgiven when we receive Jesus as Savior. But we still should be confessing and repenting and turning from the sins that show up as we live from day to day. We don't lose our relationship, but we suffer disruptions in our fellowship with the Father because of sin. As we come to God for forgiveness for our own daily shortcomings and wrongdoings, we are reminded by this prayer that we also need to be constantly forgiving others. Do we want the same relief for others as we do for ourselves? We can't can't be holding somebody prisoner of our unforgiveness and think we're honoring God with our prayers and our lives. When we pray, we should offer a pardon to others and ask for a pardon from God for us. Forgive our debts, Father, and let our forgiveness of others be a reflection of you. Pray like this. But not only do we need to pray for pardon, we need his protection. The last request asks, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is a request for protection. On the the surface, it, it may seem to accuse God of tempting people to sin by leading them that way. But that's not what the prayer is saying. The, the book of James tells us anyway in the chapter 1 and verse 13 that let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. And I mentioned last week that, that this word temptation also has the sense of, of testing or trying, uh, 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 proving. In, in that way, it, it proves the faith of the disciple. It brings it to the surface. When we face temptation with God's help, we can endure it. The Bible teaches that we face no temptation that's not common to all mankind, but that God is faithful and he will not allow us to be tempted beyond our ability. But with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape that we'll be able to endure it, that we can endure it. This prayer this prayer then asks for him, ask him for protection from the evil that all disciples are sure to face in the world day by day. It asks to, to not let us be overwhelmed by temptation to the point that we would be caught up in any sin. This is a, a petition that pleads, don't, let, don't allow us to come to a place where we would fail to hollow your name to mess up your reputation it, it leads us right back to the first request that his name be holy it acknowledges that we are never beyond a stumble into sin by temptation or being lured by evil but God is able to lead us away from it just like David saying in the 23rd Psalm the third verse he leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake god can god will He's able to deliver us from all the types of evil and from the one who is evil. In fact, the Bible teaches that God is hes able to prevent us from falling or stumbling into an evil way. present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. And then considering all that in this prayer uh, 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 that, that it's looking for and that, and that it looks toward... The church would often end this prayer with the praise, giving all honor to God. Uh, they would break out all together and say, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Why should disciples pray like this? The the, the, the easy answer is Jesus says so. <laughs> But praying like this unites us in putting God's honor and glory before our own. Praying like this guards the church from gathering to seek consumer comfort instead of God's will and purpose. Praying like this reminds us that when, that, that we've been set free from debt, and it leads us to set others free. Praying like this reminds us to live and look for God's kingdom to show up daily and finally making things right. Disciples, pray like this. Amen. Amen. Disciples, pray like this. Father, your name be holy, be glorified on earth as it is in heaven. Let it be glorified in us. Let it be holy in us. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that you teach us, you instruct us, you lead us. Thank you for the power of your spirit to overcome those things we face. Keep us, Lord, as... uh, your body, and your people, uh, direct us in a way, Lord, that will bring you glory and honor and praise. And we thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.